you just tuned into the hippest way to start and grow your indie author career, learn the ins, the outs, and all the all-arounds of self-publishing with the team from D2D and their industry-influencing guests. You're listening to Self-Publishing Insiders with Draft2Digital. Well, hello world. I'm talking to you, Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Self-Publishing Insiders with Draft2Digital. And I'm here with somebody... Um, He's, we've become friends over the past few years. Uh, William Bernhardt, he's an author. He's an organizer of uh, WriterCon in Oklahoma City, which just happens to be the hometown of Drafted Digital. Uh, and he's got a series of books for authors, his Red Sneaker series. Uh, did I get that right? Red Sneaker series? Or was it a... Okay. Yeah, Red Sneaker Writers. Red Sneaker Writers. I didn't want to flub that, but I guess I managed to do it anyway. So welcome to the show, Bill. I'm glad to have you here, man. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now you're fresh. You, you're in the uh, afterglow of right. uh, writer con, writer con uh, just, a, just last week or week? Right. Time means nothing to me now. I yeah. have <laughs> Labor, Day, Labor Day weekend, weekend before last. But yes, yeah. we're just in the... Afterglow, it turned out really well. As you know, we went ahead and had the conference in person. We also streamed it for people who didn't understandably want to come in person. So we had a dual conference. But as a result, we had a lot more people than we've ever had before. So it turned That's out. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, it's uh, uh, my my sort of personal take is I, of course, I'm on both sides of this thing at this point uh, with uh, virtual conferences. And, uh, you know, I feel like this may have initiated a shift in the way conferences are done in the future. What do you think of that? Well, there are a lot of advantages to streaming when it comes to flying people in to, to speak and putting them up in hotels. I, maybe it's just my age, but I don't think there's it's ever going to be as good as a face-to-face -face conference, particularly when you talk about networking and uh, a lot of people come to pitch the agents or the editors and publishers, right. and that's just not as, as good over the internet. Yeah, that but, networking component is is the thing I think is missing. Like I've been hit up now by several of the big conferences, like um, international thriller writers. You know, they're going to do their their virtual thing, and I love the idea of uh, being able to have access to the content. But that's not why I would go to that conference. You know? Right. Right. I mean, it's a nice thing. So at WriterCon this year, not only did we stream all the sessions because they were recorded, we can put them up on the Internet so registered guests could watch any of the 60 plus sessions at any time they want for the next month. So even the ones you missed because there were two things scheduled at the same time, you can see anything. So that's great. Yeah. But I kind of miss being able to talk to people and see them face to face. And I, I think you're far more likely we always make a point of bringing in first-rate agents and editors, and, and I just think that pitching stuff's going to go much better when it's in person. I agree. Yeah, uh, I am seeing a trend towards. You know, uh, we I was just reading some stuff from a couple of agents uh, talking about how all those pitch meetings and everything are happening online now uh, on calls like this, and mm -hmm. uh, I think that there is a benefit to that. Uh, there's a greater accessibility to that. But the, the uh, aspect of being able to be there in person and connect with somebody and take them out for a drink or a cup of mm -hmm. coffee, uh, yeah, I don't think that – I just don't see that going away. I see it shifting. No. Uh, I mean, one advantage of streaming is we had people – because 
you know, people have either read my books or listened to the pod, my pod, not yours, yours too, I'm sure, but <laughs> the Red Speaker <laughs> podcast. And so, uh, you know, people listen, but they're not going to fly to Oklahoma City. But uh, because we had the streaming component this year, we had people registering in New Zealand and Australia yeah. and places like that, which never would have happened. Otherwise. That's fascinating. See, that's that's good, though. That then that opens the doorway to a whole lot of other uh, opportunities. Yeah, you know, I was I did a presentation for you guys. Uh, while literally sitting by uh, Lake Michigan, I even switched the view briefly so people could see where I was and and uh, live in live in jealousy and envy. That's not, well, you had a good <laughs> turnout too. I don't know if you could tell, but you had a, a great audience, both live and streaming. So, oh, good. Well, I couldn't see a thing, so I just was hoping people were there and I wasn't talking to myself. So, <laughs> Right. That's another complication. Harder to take questions, although we're yeah. working on that for next year. I have some thoughts. I have some ideas. Formats like this are good for that kind of thing. Maybe we can work something out. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, your your work because uh, mm -hmm. you've been doing this for a while. You've got uh, you're you're on both sides of the uh, fiction and nonfiction fence uh, right. when it comes to publishing. Uh, which which do you prefer, first of all? Well, I always think of myself pick, as a writer. Pick the baby you like the best. That's what yeah. I'm asking you here. Oh, I could do that. but <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm a writer, and I love writing, and feel very fortunate that I get to do it. Uh, my first novel was published in 91. Now I'm really dating myself. Primary wow. Justice, and had a long series of those and took some time off. And that's when I started these nonfiction books and some other things. I wrote some young adult and poetry and now I'm back writing another legal thriller series. All right. Uh, and, and publishing as well. So I love it all, but uh, you know, you can't write all day long. So it's nice so to have other things to do. What? <laughs> I said, so they tell me. <laughs> is that what you're doing now? <laughs> I wish. No, I, I uh, well, I don't actually. It is, you're right. Uh, it's, it's great to have uh, the freedom to write, but you, I, I find that if I spend the entire day writing, I, uh, it, it stresses me out. If I spend my morning writing, you know, I write for two to three hours each morning. I used to write for, you know, eight to 10 hours when I was not working with Draft Digital, and I thought I would miss that. But I'm actually more productive now than I was then. I, I believe that. That's, yeah. And if I don't write at all, that stresses me out too. So yes. there's going to be a happy medium. Yes. Get up early, write for maybe four hours or so. And, right. and then maybe it's my imagination, but I think I can tell, okay, I'm wearing out. This next chapter will be better if I tackle it with a fresh head. That's my excuse. This yeah. is... I'm better first thing in the morning, so I'll save the rest for tomorrow. And that's when I tackle other things, uh, publishing or planning a conference or leading a small group retreat or workshop or something like that. Yeah, it's good to shift gears. You know, that that actually fosters uh, more creativity, I think. I think so. And they're not that big sh shifts either. It's all about no. books and writing right. and things that I love. And yeah. You know, feel yeah. very fortunate that I can dwell in the land that I love, uh, even though I have many different jobs. None of them are things that I wake up in the morning thinking, oh, man, <laughs> got to go drag myself to an office and whatever. Do you suffer from the same issue I suffer from? Uh, 
it's that entrepreneur's disease where I will gladly work a hundred hours so I don't have to work 40 hours for someone else kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Always better to work for yourself. Something yeah. I've tried to install in my children as well. That's yeah. the most important thing is not getting up in the morning and dreading what you're doing and looking forward to it with a smile on your face. Exactly. Yeah. That's as, what I, I'm very I, fortunate. That draft to digital has has clicked with that as well. Like I I, I forget to think of draft to digital as a job sometimes. Like it's it's just, it's just fun. Like I, I get to connect with other authors and and connect with people in the industry, and uh, it's just it's just it's just fun. <laughs> That's fantastic. I don't even know if you're aware of this, but I am technically a lawyer, and I practiced law for many years, even after yeah. it started coming out. And I didn't hate that, but it yeah. was my first love clearly and you know, if i had just done that i probably would have had a more stable income for <laughs> a little period of, but who wants to this is what yeah. i want to do i'm i'm a book person i love books stability is overrated yeah what well, why is it uh by the way bill that so many lawyers inevitably become writers mm -hmm. become authors why is that well i, I think lawyers tend to be book people, you know, people who like to read and people who are decent at writing, which, because that's what lawyers do most of the time, depending on what field you're in, but there's always a, a lot of reading and writing. So I, I think it's a natural, some other professions, I'm not going to name any, but other professions don't necessarily emphasize or require uh, verbal or literacy skills, but True. law does. And yeah. so I think it's natural. Tend yeah. to be people. I've the known first thing then is to stop writing like a lawyer and start writing like somebody who's somebody you'd want to read. Yeah, the, the bar isn't going to come and uh, look over your novel and make sure that you're uh, you're on point. Yeah, you know, making <laughs> stuff up isn't really approved of in your legal briefs. True, that's true. Uh, still, still a facet of some lawyers' careers, however. Um, but I, you know, I've worked with and known a lot of lawyers and done a lot of writing for lawyers, and that, that's a tough uh, field to write for um, mm -hmm. because you, you're under so much scrutiny. So right. I imagine that does sort of, you know, hone your your sense of what uh, should and should not be included in something. I guess. Well, I have argued that uh, because I was a trial lawyer that putting together a trial is a lot like putting together a novel because it's a huge undertaking. There's so yeah. much involved, so many things that you've got to keep in your head all at once. It requires organizational skills and maybe even a flair for the dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> it's also useful for a novelist. That's very. Uh, that's a very good point. Yeah, I imagine there are a lot of parallels there. Uh, it's just that if you have a bad novel, nobody goes to jail or gets uh, gets sued. Well, you could get sued. You could, yeah, <laughs> but that can be avoided if you're just half smart about it. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, what what are some of the advantages then uh, of you having had that legal career? Um, other than you know, for, it seems like it may have straight up prepared you for. Uh, the intensity of having to write for a living, but you know, any other advantages that came out of that? Well, it gave me a subject matter in a way that I never would have dreamt yeah. when I wrote what we called primary justice, which was mm -hmm. not my first attempt. And, uh, but people always say, write what you know. So I thought, okay, I'm a, 
baby associate here at this big law firm. I can write about that environment. And of course, added some crime and whatnot to make it interesting. Yeah. And it seemed to click. That's what Random House bought, and they wanted more. And that turned out very well. I ended up doing uh, 18, 19 books in the Ben Kincaid series. Ben Kincaid is the series lawyer. Yeah. And several other books kind of in the realm realm of thrillers, but not in the series. And, and then at some point I thought, okay, break. <laughs> if, I, if I do another one of these courtroom scenes, I'm just going to shoot myself. I need to do this <laughs> for a while and did. Yeah. And somewhere along the way, I had started publishing and somewhere I had started teaching, finding that I enjoyed that too. Like, like we said, you just can't stare at a laptop all day long. But teaching, working with other aspiring writers, getting out and, you know, actually interacting with people, I think is not a bad thing to do periodically. I, and, I can you know, agree. <laughs> and, yeah, well, look at you. You're out in Michigan. What a good time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, then last year I came back and decided to see if I could still do another legal thriller series and started this. Daniel Pike series that started with the last chance lawyer and not to seem immodest, but that's succeeded well beyond my expectations. Really? It turned out to be a blast. Yeah, really. Wow. wow. <laughs> and, uh, who knew if anybody would even remember that this is what I wrote once upon a time. <laughs> right. Turns out that they do and turns out, well, what it, with the passage of a little time though, there were so many new ideas and stories and, changes in society and and new issues new things to write about yeah and i also structured this new series again this was in part for myself and part for others i thought okay i'm going to do a six book series this is not going to go on forever there's going to be six of them right <laughs> and right. i'm going to map it out more or less in advance so this you know there each book tells its own story it's not like a big continuing saga but there are recurring characters and there are kind of big picture story arcs that continue and expand and grow and you learn more about it as the six book series moves on. I, I tell you, I stole this whole idea and this is going to sound so pretentious, but it's really true. <laughs> I stole this from Anthony Trollope, who oh. is one of my favorite writers, 19th yeah. century Victorian guy, Dickens, yeah. uh, 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 uh peer and and he wrote i don't know 50 plus novels all long and very good and i love reading them but the two things he's best remembered for are two what people sometimes call mega novels six books all related to one another each telling their own story just like i said he did the barchester towers series six books which kind of deals with uh, country life and and okay. romance and whatnot. And then he did the Palliser series, which has more to do with city life and politics and whatnot. And most people think those are his best works. And I think perhaps in part, it's the idea of the continuing characters and new yeah. story, but in the same world. And I thought, I wonder if I could do something like that. I'll do that with a lawyer. And that, that's what turned into the Daniel Pike series. So limiting it to, to six books, um... Do you feel like I mean, what what's the advantage there? Like, if it's if it's so successful, I mean, wouldn't you want to just keep it going? Well, that's the, now you're talking a marketing question, and I don't even <laughs> know the answer to that honestly. Yeah, I mean, yes, part of you says, 
they're still selling well, let's do seven, eight, nine. Then again, I also know that no series lasts forever. Eventually right. you start to lose. Maybe it's smarter to just start something. I don't really know the answer to that, but yeah. I know it helped me when I said, you're not going to do this forever. You're going to do six of them. And then you're going to move on to a new idea. So yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess unless you can, and don't, you don't have to spoil anything, but I mean, unless you're killing off the character, you could always sneak another special edition book in there later on if you wanted, right? That's exactly right. And I'm not going to spoil anything either, but I would never don't. do anything so stupid. <laughs> I couldn't come. I mean, if Netflix decided they wanted Daniel Pike to be their next big series, wouldn't yeah. that be sad if I couldn't write any more of them? I mean, right. You always leave the door open. Exactly. I don't know, Sir, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he killed off his protagonist for a while there. Yeah, and, right. and then when he saw somebody else making real money off the character, he brought him back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Uh, yeah, and uh, logistics be damned. Uh, so that's cool. I, I um, Do you find – so did you do any, like, one-off series, uh, any standalones or anything like that? I have done a couple of standalones in between. I did one called uh, uh, the, the Game Master. Okay. And uh, – and and that was an Amazon pub deal. Okay. Uh, not a self pub, but uh, you know they backed it. And yeah. in the short term, that was a pretty good deal. I would bet in the first six months or so, that book probably sold more in eBooks than anything else. But I didn't see it churning the same kind of you know people emailing me and saying when's the next one and let's make him a series character. I, I didn't get that kind of feeling from it. I think it's a good book, but maybe I don't know. It's so hard to tell in the ebook world. Do you do you find yourself? What one of my sons, Ralph, always asks, Bill, Dad, which is your best selling book? I'm like. I really don't know anymore <laughs> because once upon a time yeah, true. In, in traditional publishing, you could just look at the royalty statement and that tells you how many comps, but now they're for sale in a, a million different places with different distributors and eBooks are hard to count and, uh, and Kindle is borrowing things, which isn't exactly a sale. I have no idea what my best selling books are anymore. Yeah, same. Yeah. I have no idea. Uh, I, I have a general idea. I mean, I can kind of look and see which which books are performing well. So I could probably give you a top five, uh, <laughs> but I couldn't tell you what number one really is. It seems to change day to day. Really? Yeah. So you now your original series with was with Random House, Did right? You go back to traditional publishing for this new series, or is this self published? No, this is mine. This is my baby all the way. That Excellent. was part of the whole thing that. Uh, well, I don't know how much background you want, but I, I dip my toe. Give me all you want. <laughs> <laughs> I dip my toe in. I mean, like everybody else who's been successful in traditional publishing, I thought, oh, self-publishing. I don't, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But then uh, twist my arm. I started talking to people, and I had written these books on writing, which I originally wrote just to use. Sorry, I didn't mean to nudge that. I just used to uh, because I was teaching, and I thought it would be nice to have kind of textbooks. Every yeah. you know, you always look more official if you've got a book, right? You turn to page forty-three in your handbooks or whatever, and so I created these. And at one point, somebody else was going to publish them, but they wanted to stick them all together, and I didn't like that idea. I liked having short 
to-the-point books. I think too often books on writing become sort of an excuse for people not writing. Oh, I got this book. I'm going to read that. I, no, these red sneaker books are short to the point, maybe 100 pages. You can read it in the afternoon, apply them, and get back to your work. Yeah. Anyway, so I created them. Uh, but then try, well, I'll upload these up to Amazon and see what's happening. And they did all right at first, didn't blow my socks off. But then I recorded the audiobooks. And yeah. don't ask me why, but that's when the books really took off. Audible started putting them on the same page together and listing them right. as, uh, here's the thing you need to pay attention to. And, and the audiobooks were really what took off and, and, and brought, brought the whole rest of it with them. And ironically, the only reason I had done those is because, as you know, because you've met her, my wife, Laura, is a very talented writer and actress. And I could see back in, I don't know, 13, 14, you could see that audiobooks, because they were digital now, were starting yeah. to take off. And I thought, let's just get the equipment you know, we'll bite the bullet once and buy some high quality studio equipment and put it in this clothes closet. <laughs> you can start recording audiobooks. And then when we had it all set up here, I thought, well, I can do that. How hard can that be? They're just like long lectures. And so I recorded the audiobooks. So anyway, that turned out to be a success. And then I started thinking, well, I wonder if I could do that with fiction. Yeah. Now, at this point in the last decade, I'm looking at uh, because I had started writing books in the 90s, originally none of those contracts with Random House had any clause pertaining to ebooks. Right. And the audiobooks were done on cassette tapes. I don't know. Yeah. I have some of these uh, boxes of cassette tapes over it. My kids don't even know what they are. What, yeah. what do you do with that, Dad? They That's hold it up to your ear. Yeah. How do you get like that a, on your phone? Like an ocean seashell. <laughs> and so uh, Random House's initial position was that uh, all those early books, even though the contracts didn't mention electronic books, that uh, those rights were implicit in the other clauses in the contract. And so by implication, they had the right to the e-books. Well, obviously, yeah. I didn't agree with that. Most people didn't, but that was a fight. Eventually got those back. And then I started wanting the audiobooks back because they were recorded analog. There was no digital version. They they had the rights, but they weren't doing anything with it. I said, give them back to me. You know, I'll get my wife to record them or I'll do it and, and we can make some money off it. But I, because the books are still in print, I couldn't get the audiobooks rights back, which is so it's, you know, that's keenly frustrating. Yeah. And, and then you hear about people getting more than the traditional eight to 10% that you would get from a, a big five publisher. And I started yeah. to think, you know, maybe it's time to think about doing this in a different way. Yeah. So the, the last chance lawyer series was my attempt to see if I could make this happen with my own company. Yeah. Sounds like it's working. It is, and it's led to not only success there, but now we're publishing other people as well. Uh, I've gotten all the kids involved. The, the parent company is Bernhardt Books, because that sounds cool, because it's a family company. And uh, my daughter edits, and one of my sons does the marketing videos and writes copy, and one of them does all the oh, nice. money royalty stuff, because I don't have any head for numbers at all. 
And so we're publishing other people as well, distributing through draft to digital, of course. Thank you. And, uh, it, it's worked out to be a really nice thing. We've been able to launch some really good writers. Excellent. That's good. So uh, if, you, if you're stacking your experience with uh, traditional publishing against this current self-publishing experience, how do things measure up? What's the ups and downs? So, well, it, 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 that depends on who you are. I mean, yeah. when I started in 91, that was the only game in town, obviously. Books sold in bookstores, and you had to be in them, or you weren't going to sell anything. So that was the only choice. But now you do have choices. And yeah. what I always tell people at conferences, you got to do what's going to make you happy. Right. Some books do better self-published. Usually, I think genre fiction does better in ebooks and, and other self-published volumes. And uh, and uh, if you're doing something outside that, maybe you don't want to. Or maybe if you're of a certain age and you just feel like you need the validation that somebody else likes your book and wants to publish it, then go for it. But yeah. if that doesn't pan out, then you've got options. I mean, to, yeah. me, to me, it's kind of your validation should be that you've written a terrific book. Exactly. <laughs> Not yeah, exactly. somebody else who's planning to keep the majority of the profits uh, is rubber stamping it. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's nice to have other people doing all the stuff, worrying about distribution and covers and cover copy and whatnot. And sometimes it's nice if, if they're throwing parties or making a fuss and whatnot. But at the same time, that doesn't happen. And everybody has to get involved in marketing your books these days, no matter how you're published. And hand in hand, of course, with the, the niceness of having pros in charge of things is the fact that you just lost your voice. You've got no control. First right. and foremost, you've just licensed rights, which I can tell you, you will probably never get back. once you right. Or you have a heck of a fight in yeah. front of you. Or at least to a big legal fight. And yeah. even then, I mean, I think they're protected at this time unless you can get a term clause in your contract because I know it is the practice at many big five houses now. If they sell out their initial offset print run, they set it up at Ingram Spark for print on demand. So those books are never going out of print. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, you got to balance what's smart and what works for you. If you are uh, somewhat control freaky like me, <laughs> then yeah. You don't yeah. mind being in charge. You, you know, only mind. You only mind if it flops. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's hard to measure what's a flop now, uh, because the, you know the, the lifespan of the book is different uh, for indie publishing than it is for for trad pub. Um, you know, if books don't do well uh, in traditional publishing. They get yanked from the shelves, sent back for credit. You know, destroyed. Right. Uh, whereas in indie publishing, uh, you know, the ebook lasts forever. I mean, there's no point. And yanking it down, just leave it there and let it, you know, find its audience eventually. That's and that's the nice thing about a series, even if it's a series of six. Yeah. New people find it every month. Sometimes I have no idea why, but they do. It's evergreen. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Yeah, I'm I'm experiencing something like that now. It's like the first book in my Dan Kotler series uh, suddenly just had a spike in sales, and I I I have no idea why. I didn't do anything. 
right. I'll take the money. To say, it was that uh, Amazon ad I placed. Yeah, it's not even that simple. You know, it could have been anything. I could have casually mentioned it in a conversation at a restaurant and 100 people there decided to go buy it or whatever. Right. Um, right. So that's, that, a, that's what's key. It's still all about word of mouth. It's just that the word is getting transmitted in different ways these days. And with, it's with greater reach. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about conferences, and we'll we'll uh, we got about three minutes before I want to open things up for questions. Mm -hmm. And I want to take this moment, by the way, if you're watching or listening. Um, well, if you're listening, you're probably listening to the recording. Uh, hello. But if you're watching live right now on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to ask us anything you want, and we will uh, in the last fifteen minutes we'll start answering some of those questions. So I see we got one or two questions in the comments now. I'll. Uh, run those by uh, Bill here in just a minute. But uh, let's talk about conferences a little bit more. We, we kind of talked about it at the front end of the show. Um, and we know that you you feel pretty strongly about the networking aspect of conferences. Uh, what are some of the other advantages of authors attending these conferences, virtual or otherwise? Yeah, well, uh, for me, first and foremost is the educational experience. Because even though I've been doing this for more than 30 years now, there's a lot to learn, not just about writing, although still lots to learn about writing, but also now, of course, the business is changing constantly and people are coming up. You were telling me about some new stuff I didn't know before we started the interview today. <laughs> There's always something new out there. I'm always yeah. getting in trouble for revealing things. Don't, don't, don't See, share whatever I shared. Uh, no, that's why I, mean, I still go to a conference. As you know, I usually see you there and I pick up come home with this long list of things that I want to try and do. And yeah. that, that, I think you have to do that. That's how you keep it working. And I also think there's something, maybe it's just me. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. Yeah. From age seven, knew I wanted to be a writer. Went to the library every day, checked out. I was either going to be a librarian or a writer. And eventually I gravitated <laughs> to writer. But how? Yeah. Nobody in my town was a writer. Nobody knew anything about it. On the rare occasions I mentioned this dream, I was met with, you know, scorn, like not only stop dreaming, but that's not even a very good dream. <laughs> if you're going to dream, yeah. pick something <laughs> wow. that might be profitable or something. Yeah. Uh, so to me, the biggest frustration was how do you do that? I eventually yeah. went to college and got a little bit of information about it, but. You know, what a conference like WriterCon, the one yeah. that I'm doing now in Oklahoma City, not far from where I grew up. What a difference that could have made to 14, <laughs> 15 year old me. I mean, it could have yeah. changed everything. And I know there are still people out there like that. And that's who at the core I'm, I'm trying to get to, to come out. People have the passionate desire to write. They just need to know how to do it. And then once they've yeah. written something, where, where do I go with this? How do I get an agent or how do I find a publisher or publish it myself. And, and uh, the, you know, you can read, you can find things on the Google, but uh, nothing delivers that kind of information like a conference where you've got tip top people, pros, people are really on top of their fields. Uh, yeah. Lecturing about it. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, that's, it does feel like my career took a shift when I started attending the conferences. Mm -hmm. Um, you start and it, in in non-obvious ways, you know, uh, just just connecting with other people who were successful at the thing I wanted to be successful at 
was a lot of times the only boost I needed to, to uh, get to work. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. How mm-hmm. many times have you been, been to a conference and you ducked out to go do some writing? i'm not sure i've gotten up early in the morning to write before i went to the sessions before but right uh yeah no i'm more sorry i'm more likely to go to the pool or something (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough uh well let's uh we got a couple of questions we'll pop in here and we can continue our conversation as well um but let's see i got one from uh, Tom Ray, he's on YouTube. He says the pandemic originally seemed a golden opportunity, but hasn't it become a source of more stress to creativity than expected? What do you think? Not for me. I'm interested to hear what you and maybe Tom say. I mean, to me, I almost feel guilty because I know a lot of people are suffering during yeah. this lockdown. But to me, I mean, I'm used to working at home and I'm used Same. to being alone most of the time. And I was worried the first month or so of the lockdown when uh, sales of everything seemed to plummet. But as you know, books have rebounded, particularly e-books and digital uh, audio books are selling extremely well now. So, no, it hasn't stressed me. It's almost like uh, it just made me feel fortunate that I chose this field, which survives even when we're in the midst of this major crisis. Yeah. Uh, what, is, is Tom able to talk to you? What's the stress he's feeling? Is it because he can't go to conferences? or could or be, Tom, if you're still Tom? listening. Yeah. Uh, you can feel free to drop some comments in the uh, in the window there and uh, and we'll, we'll we'll chat with you a little and we'll see what uh, I remember what when your expectations are. One of my good writing friends, William Martin, uh, who, of course, very successful historical novelist and lives in Boston. And he uh, put on Facebook this picture of his wonderful writing desk with the lamp and this gorgeous view of the countryside. <laughs> and the caption was, the original social distancing. <laughs> I mean, he's been doing it for 40 years, for Pete's sake. I know. So. I feel like I've been practicing for social distancing my whole life. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a good post. I, I feel, oh, that was a accidental click. Um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, my creativity got amped up uh, once. It's funny because everyone else, I kept seeing posts on social media about how they've got all this time to take up new hobbies and learn new things, whatever. And my workload increased by like four times. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I was already social distancing. Um Here's one change that I have made, if I can mention this, Kevin, because as you know, I've uh, I've traditionally done small group retreats throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, retreat sounds so much better than workshop, and we usually found a scenic location to hold them. But yeah, this year I know some people. Although we did have one in Eureka Springs this summer, and we all made masks and stayed away from each other. But oh wow, okay, our manuscripts. But this December, for the first time ever, I'm going to do one that's all online, all Zoom or something like that. But we're going to do the same things. We're just not going to be in the same room. And that's where I can read people's manuscripts and read their work every day and give direct feedback one-on-one. See, I'm reading these side comments that I know Tom's reworking his manuscripts many hours a day. And I'm saying, Tom, if you want some feedback, come to the December... Small group retreat that we're doing because that's exactly that what that's for. People who've done some work, they've got a work in progress, and now let's polish it up, take it up to the next level, and try and get it published. Yeah, 
uh, I've been chastised by Alyssa. Uh, I needed to scroll back and post this comment from Tom where he says, I miss my connection. My connections with other local writers. We used to have write-ups three days a week to get out of the house and work in different environments. And uh, I do think that that has been an impact. Right. Uh, you know, but uh, what's interesting, though, is to see the shift to virtual in that regard as well, because now I can actually connect with authors who are in a completely different region of the world if I want, uh, which is an opportunity you wouldn't normally have had with local meetups. So right. it's sort of a trade off. You know, I don't get to sit with you for a cup of coffee, but mm -hmm. I can have coffee with you uh, while you're in New Zealand and I'm in you right. know, Michigan. <laughs> but everybody's learning how to Zoom now. So they yeah. can, my mom, who's well in her 90s, can Zoom now. <laughs> and if she can, anybody can. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We got my mom an iPhone uh, so that we could do FaceTime calls with her. So same sort right. of thing. Of course, mm -hmm. she still does FaceTime calls where she's like holding the phone and it's like this far from her face. And uh, so we're still teaching her how the <laughs> etiquette of the whole thing. Uh, we have a question from Kathy. Uh, says, do you have any more poetry collections in the works? Oh, Kathy, how nice of you. Thank you so much. You're <laughs> sweet. Did I mention <laughs> when I talked about things I was doing in between? Yeah, I did two books of poetry, uh, The White Bird and then The Ocean's Edge, which was really uh, took a certain amount of courage to work up to because, first of all, I know people know me as primarily a novelist. And so what's he doing writing poetry? But the truth is, I've always written poetry. I just didn't publish it. Uh, although I started in the past 10 years or so sending it out to magazines and whatnot. Anyway, so I did these books. And what a response. I, I should clarify that. I think the, poet, the two poetry books I did have literally gotten the best reviews I've ever had in my life. Not okay. the best royalty statements, but, right. <laughs> but the best reviews. Yes, I am putting together another one, and I think it's going to be either end of this year or start of next. So thanks yeah. for asking. So poetry is an interesting, uh, uh, when it comes to self-publishing, poetry is interesting. We get asked uh, all the time about whether or not we can handle poetry uh, in, say, D2D print or something like that. Um, and we've got workarounds for some of the ways people want to construct the verse, you know. Um, what I know you exactly what you're talking about, because we did a poetry you book. Had to do <laughs> and yeah. the, the well, what were some of the challenges? I mean, what was it that, well, what, you know, what do you think the challenge is there? They don't want to have everything go up against the left-hand margin. You might want to have a line that starts in the middle and uh, or, or skips lines or what uh, automatic right. formatting programs just don't get that because it right. makes no logical sense. <laughs> Right. We finally got it to work, but it it was a little more challenging than usual. I probably would have fallen back on something like InDesign for that, just because it's uh, I can control. Because I know layout sometimes is part of the the art. Uh, it's part of the expression. So uh, you don't get a lot of those options on automated systems. You're right. Right. Does RTF or how do you get it in Draft to Digital? Uh, yeah, you can actually do. You can actually export to ebook. We don't recommend it because it's right. you know overkill for most people. Uh, but if you are, if you happen to already have access to it, uh, you know it's problematic for us. Uh, but we can take those books. It's just you know there's a little extra work on our part. So it's right. usually better for you to use something like you know our system or Vellum or something like that. But 
the option is there. We we right. always like to make sure people know the options are there. <laughs> right. So, uh, but in terms of poetry versus fiction, um, yeah, what are some of the challenges? Because you, you know you made the joke that the royalty statement wasn't quite <laughs> wasn't quite your best, um, and we get a lot of that too. Uh, people want to know like, how do I sell more poetry? Uh, and I don't have a good answer for it. I'm not a poet myself, so yeah, I don't think there is a good answer for that. I have no idea. I think there's exactly one poet in America, okay, two <laughs> who are making well, this actually does lead to a good answer. You could tell them to go on Instagram because that's where poetry is happening right now. It's that's the, what I'm seeing Insta poets. I'm sorry, what I'm seeing the exact same thing, yeah, Rupi Carr and people like that. Uh, you know, she had the best-selling book of the year with the sun and her flowers. And that's in, in, not because she had a, a big five publisher. It's because she'd been on Instagram posting regularly for a number of years, building up a following with good poetry. Yep. And eventually that paid off in book sales. I think the case that makes is for platform building. Um, right. If you spend right. your energy and time up front building your platform, and uh, the confusion is always like, what, what is my platform? And it's not Facebook, Instagram, or anything. It's, it's your reach, right? It's the people that you're able to reach with your work. So if you spent the, that energy building that up, regardless of what you're writing and publishing, you stand a far better chance of success. So right. Also helps if uh, you're good at it. <laughs> if you're good at it, that's yeah, the bonus. Good, yeah. Not required these days. I've noticed <laughs> there's a lot of successful uh, authors and writers out there who aren't necessarily good at it, but they they have the heart, they have the passion. That's all it right. really requires, apparently. Right. Um, excellent. Well, uh, we're kind of getting in, uh, closing in on the end of this. Uh, where can people find all this stuff that you're you're publishing and Bernhardt books and all that? Yeah, if you want to know more about uh, uh, the the uh, the writer con and the small group retreat, go to my website, which is williambernhart.com and click on the red sneaker writers tab. And then you'll see all the different writing programs out there. And the two small group programs that are up there right now are the December uh, online retreat that I just mentioned. And maybe it should be a different word than retreat. If it's online, let's call it a workshop. And then uh, in Eureka Springs next year, and of course, we're about we're we're already planning WriterCon 2021, and uh, the 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 books are published. I mean, Bernhardt Books is the company name, but they're published under the label Babylon Books, and you can find a link to that on my website too. Excellent, Babylon Books. Okay, and you can find all that at WilliamBernhardt.com. Absolutely, and that's on the screen now. And I, maybe I should have typed it into the uh, comments, but uh, you, you guys can do your own typing. Uh, so, um, William, I really, man, I, uh, I'm very grateful that you were able to spend some time with us. It's, uh, I know there's been, it's been a crazy, I don't think I shouldn't even have to say it. Everyone knows by now, 2020 has been a very crazy year. Right. <laughs> it may just get crazier. Who knows? But Could get crazier. Uh, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's what I was going to say earlier is that I think that's the key uh the reason books have done well not just because people have the time to read but they are that affordable luxury that uh howard schultz uh talked about in his his books about uh starbucks you know it's mm -hmm. it's an affordable luxury and something that we can get hours of entertainment out of for a very low price 
That's right. uh, so yeah, and people, so thank you for contributing to people's uh, affordable luxuries during the pandemic. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up and I appreciate you sticking around. If you are on uh, YouTube or Facebook, uh, make sure you're giving us a follow and a like uh, on YouTube. You'll find us at youtube.com slash draft digital and on Facebook, facebook.com slash draft digital. And of course, you're going to want to go bookmark D to D live where you can get an alert for shows like this one. Uh, when we go live, we get to give you a little countdown. You can see what's coming up. You get links to all the places that we appear. And uh, if you are uh, interested in this show and you want to get more back episodes, tune in to selfpublishinginsiders.com where you can find all the back episodes of this. And that includes video, audio, and transcripts. So you can enjoy it in all the different modalities. Uh, so for now, though, you want to go check out uh, Bill's site at williambernhart.com. Buy all his books. Keep him, uh, keep him uh, well employed and uh, keep him going. And, sir, thank you one more time for being a part of Self-Publishing Insiders. Thanks. Anytime. All right, everybody. We'll see you all next time. Take care. That's it for this week's Self-Publishing Insiders with draft to digital Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with your will-be author friends. And start, build, and grow your own self-publishing career right now at draft2digital.com.